morning. We're so glad that you have joined us here for worship at Central Baptist Church this morning. You're a rowdy bunch this morning, and that is wonderful. <laughs> I love this place. <laughs> I do. And I'm so grateful to be here uh, with you all and to worship with you this morning. Um, if you're a visitor with us, we're so glad that you're here, and you'll find some information cards and in the pews. Uh, in front of you, uh, and you can take one of those out, put it in the offering plate as it goes by, or leave it on the sign-up table uh, out in the foyer uh, if you'd like to do that as well. Um, if you've been here for decades, we want you to know that your presence is also a blessing to us as well. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship, uh, especially during the season of Advent. Um, I remember uh, in the season of Christmas uh, as a kid across the street from us, uh, was a house, uh, and that family expressed their love and joy at Christmas season uh, with enormous amounts of uh, backlit plastic uh, Christmas displays and lights. Uh, so, so much so that years uh, afterward, after a few years, they just left the lights up all year long and wouldn't turn them on. You could see them stapled against. Uh, the front of the house uh, all the time, which was amazing. There was a Santa Claus on the chimney, Rudolph and the reindeer. There was Frosty out there. And off to the side was uh, a small nativity scene. And there was music, so much so that as a child, I told my mom I couldn't go to sleep because of the music that was playing. Uh, people would drive through our neighborhood from all over Madison County to come and see the spectacle because back then there was no YouTube and you couldn't sit on your couch and watch it from home. And so you had to get out in the world and do something, and, uh, which would have been really cool if you could drive past it, but we lived right there. And uh, that wasn't as cool. And, it, it, and it, it, it was wearing after a while. Um, sometimes I feel like we're pressured during Advent and the Christmas season to be joyful, to be happy, to be excited. And it's not always that. Uh, life is difficult. Uh, life is filled with so many ups and downs. And so our Christmas this season uh, may not be as joyful as what uh, we may want it to be. Uh, there may be sorrow and struggle and heartache and hurt, but that is part of life. And uh, that's part of our Advent as well. And hopefully, maybe off to the side somewhere, we might be able to take some time and see once again the Holy Family with that beautiful newborn baby, as God says once again, whispering to us in the midst of all the hubbub around us, I'm here, and I'm with you, uh, and you are mine. So this morning, let's worship together.
Good morning. Please join me as we recite our call to Advent. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. Christ is coming. Sing with me now our congregational response. Love has come, a light in the darkness. Love shines forth in the Bethlehem skies. See, all heaven has come to proclaim it. Hear how their song of joy arises. Love, love, born unto you a Savior. you to uh, join me as we uh, recite our invocation. Creator God, not a day goes by when you do not invite us to be peacemakers and advocates, listeners and good Samaritans. Not a day goes by when we're not asked to be a friend to a stranger and a neighbor to those in need. Not a day goes by when we're not asked to be people call us to be and yet, day after day, we lose sight of, of your hope for this world. In our worship today, forgive us, restore us, renew us, as we continue to prepare the way to walk with you. Now I invite you to pass the peace to those around you. Our reading today comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. And a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. For the word of God that works its way into us.
Let's pray again, please, shall we? Dear God, we sometimes have a hard time sorting through all the signs because it seems that our focus is on signs that things are desperate, that things are hopeless, that things are dangerous, that things are scary and sad. And yet if we look a little closer, look a little deeper into our hearts and to the eyes of those people in this room and those people that we know who bring joy, hope, and peace in their lives, that the signs are a lot better, that you are here, and that you are coming again. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to stand with me now for the hearing of the gospel lesson today found in the gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. Listen, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
religious folks like me like to use fancy words to describe ordinary things. Now that's a danger because I can use so many fancy words I might get tongue-tied trying to pronounce them. But that happens for me with simple words too. But why do we do that? Why are we always wanting to put fancy words on common things? I don't know. Does that make us feel more significant? Let's bring a little gravitas to what we're trying to say, give it a little more weight. But there's something every person in this room has probably done thousands of times that we have described with a string of fancy words. It's called the Ministry of Introduction. Someone's getting that Ministry of Introduction right now. <laughs> Bringing two strangers together whom we believe might be good friends, not merely as a matchmaker, but trying to build a bridge, interconnecting this network of a stronger bond of social fabric. And before any of us who have ever desired to meet Jesus or have wished to meet Jesus or have met Jesus can be introduced to him, we all must go through four different friends. We know them better as the four evangelists, the gospel writers, the gospel witnesses, who Remember some of the th same things about Jesus' life as the others, but like in all human endeavors, may tell a little different portion of it a little different way with maybe a few other special details. And when we get to the Christmas accounts, we recognize not only are they oftentimes telling the same story differently, but some of them even add their own unique contributions, things that they tell that no one else mentions. And in the gospel accounts that we highlight at Christmas, we mostly just listen to two of the witnesses, don't we? Matthew and Luke. Luke tells us those special insights about Mary, the mother to Jesus. From him, we learn a little bit about Mary's family and what it must have been like for her to bear the Holy Son of God. In Luke, we learn of the inn, the shepherds, and the blessings of Simeon and Anna at Jerusalem. On the other hand, Matthew focuses our attention on Joseph's, Joseph's struggle, the one engaged to Mary, who becomes the first man charged with taking care of the child Jesus. It's a story told from the perspective of other men as well, from the meanness of King Herod and his murderous intent to hold on to his power, to the journey of the wise men who travel great distances to see this new and wonderful thing that has come to earth by following a star, 
and the sudden flight to Egypt where, like Moses, Jesus will introduce a restored covenant between God and all people seeking restoration for themselves and their community. But in Mark, believed to be written the earliest, there's absolutely nothing mentioned about Jesus' birth. And while John, the Gospel of John, has that incredible and beautiful prologue, there's no rush to Bethlehem, no guiding star, no manger, no swaddling clothes, no fleeing for safety, no mention of Jesus as an infant or a child or even a youth. So what do all four of these witnesses have in common as they seek to bring the story of Jesus to the world, as they seek to introduce you to this most magnificent of all personalities, the Son of God. What one essential do they all include? They tell us we first mo must go see about this guy, <laughs> this wild-eyed, sharp-talking, foul-smelling, desert-dwelling, crowd-inspiring, power-confronting, comfort-challenging, old-school prophet-honoring lightning rod with pieces of locusts and locust guts stuck between his teeth, who dwells out there in the wilderness to tell us about the ways of God. He's the Doberman pincher of the gospel, says Barbara Brown Taylor. An air, an air raid siren sent by God, a sort of angry Paul Bunyan. And for good reason. For 500 years, the word of God had been silent and Israel had been passed around like an unwanted child from one superpower to another, from Greece to Egypt to Syria to Rome. And these dominant world powers favored Israel more for its geographical importance as a trade route and its indentured slave labor force and taxation that they could glean from the people rather than having any actual concern for them. And God's prophetic call of justice, justice for the poor and responsibility for the powerful had been shunned even by the religious establishment. Those bearing the instructions of God to take care of the least of these and that those who have means must then use their ability and strength to help those who have those needs is the message hammered home by the prophets and forgotten by the people except as a, a faint memory. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like something we ought to do, but oh, just so hard right now. Times aren't right. And here comes John, John the Baptist, not to calm the waters, but to trouble them. 
And he's out there hiding in the wilderness while building this resistant movement against the common order. A resistant movement that's calling people to new spiritual lives. To recover the best that they know humans can achieve through God. And that there is renewal in responding gladly and joyously to what God might be asking them to do. And we might think him a madman out there. Dizzy in the desert in its hot sun. Shouting at imagined shadows. Until we realize those same shadows are lurking, lurking in our own souls, making us dizzy with how much of our true self we've given away just to fit in with the crowd. The remedy? Jump into the river and have the smut of your selfishness washed away as you seek to live more fully and more completely to your true self, which strangely means also living more fully for the needs of others. Cornell West in Democracy Matters says, prophetic beings have as their special aim to shatter deliberate ignorance and willful blindness to the sufferings of others and to expose the clever forms of evasion and escape we devise in order to hide and to conceal injustice. I had a, a strange small bit of this unsettling recently, a twinge perhaps of, of John's anger Donna and I have another couple that we exchange Christmas gifts every year. And we'll get together and try to figure out something to get for them. And they try to figure out something to get for us. And we're always thinking, well, we probably don't need anything. Until finally, one of the couples said, uh, one of the spouses of the couple said, let's give a donation to charity in each other's names. The charity they picked is uh, one you probably know about. It's a national movement called Blessings in a Backpack. And like what we did uh, with the elementary school in God's Pantry, uh, it's to provide food for children who are hungry by putting food in a backpack and giving it to them over the weekend and when they may not have food security. And I was troubled, not because I had to give money. I mean, I think even Donna pulled it out of her account to make the contribution. I had very little to do with it. No. It's when I was confronted with this statistic that all of us are familiar with. 13 million children in the United States live in food insecure homes. That means one in six of every American child is hungry and will go to bed hungry tonight. You know that statistic. I, we know it very well, don't we? It just sits out there. It just lives around us somehow. And, and I felt a little bit angry about it. 
Here we are, the most prosperous country that has ever existed on the face of the earth. And one in six of our children doesn't have enough to eat. I'm angry at myself. That I don't pay enough attention. That I get too distracted. That I'm skipping along my merry way. Something's wrong. Deeply wrong. And I realized we need a repentance of heart and a baptism of the spirit. Not because we are intrinsically bad. But because we've all gotten a little bit dirty. Polluting ourselves with all the waste that is polluting our world. Spoiled by too much consumerism. Confused by too much noise. Fatigued by too much suffering. Stymied by too many distractions. Sticky and gummed up by a culture that constantly says, have you thought about doing this? John the Baptist comes right at me like a freight train. The challenge of my Christianity is too soft and too accommodating, too comfortable with the world as it is to not be terribly troubled enough to try to change it into becoming something better. Yes, repentance is about something negative. <laughs> That's true. But just because something is negative doesn't mean it's bad. It's not meant to be destructive, but corrective. Some biblical scholars describe repentance not merely as turning in another direction, but more broadly as reorienting or reordering or recentering. It's like resetting. Now, those of you who are young won't identify with this, but if you're my age or thereabouts, you'll remember when you tried to get help on the computer hotline because your internet was down or your computer wasn't working. You may have called one of your younger family members or a son or daughter and said, I don't know what's wrong with my computer. And they'll say right away, do you have it on? Is it plugged in? And then what's the next thing they ask you to do? Everyone's gotten this experience, haven't they? I mean, this is not strange for anyone here. Turn it off. Turn it back on. Restart it. Reset it. Recalibrate it. Bring it back to zero. The writer Anne Lamont once said that most things, including our own selves, can be fixed if we just turn them off for a little while before we power them back on. We're just caught in this wheel. And Advent says, come to the wilderness where there's not a whole lot of stuff going on. Come to the darkness where you shut off your screens and your distractions and you just sit for a while in the quiet. Come to the place and to the edges 
like where the River Jordan sits, between the desert and the promised land, and recognize what it must be like for those who sit on the margins of life, who sit on the periphery of anyone's concern, who are human beings with dignity and importance, just like we have dignity and importance, to stretch our generosity as far and as wide as we can throw it and beyond. This past Friday was December 6th, the day before that day of infamy as described by FDR. February, I mean, uh, December 6th is the day the Christian world remembers St. Nicholas. Traditionally living in 270 to 343, he was the Bishop of Myra, a once thriving seaport town now mostly known for its ruins in southern Turkey. St. Nicholas lived in the turbulent times marking the transition of the Roman Empire from pagan loyalties to Christian commitment. But most of you know of him because of his reputation, this person of secret gift giving that gave rise now to a much more famous and celebrated figure who bears a modern translation of his name. And even though Nicholas was born into privilege, his early Christian life was not easy. Suffering and arrested during the Diocletian persecution of the church during the fourth century, prior to the conversion of Emperor Constantine, his faith, his Christian fidelity, his commitment to Christ was tested far beyond what most of us have ever encountered. According to archeology span relics now thousands of years old, it was recently discovered how St. Nicholas had his nose broken in at least two places, a break close to the skull, which meant it must have been very severe. He was imprisoned and beaten for his commitment to Christ. And then once he was freed, he was not bitter. He did not seek revenge. He did not lash out. All he could think about after having these negative and terrible things happen to him is how he might be a positive force for good in the world. By reputation, it is said he took bags of gold and threw them into the windows of three daughters who were soon to be sex trafficked in order to save them from a life of prostitution. He was known as being generous to the poor and they had a secret code so that if you were struggling or had difficulty, you could put your shoes out at your doorstep. And St. Nicholas would walk around as the Bishop of Milan with coins and put them inside of your shoes overnight. A tradition still practiced in Europe today in remembering St. Nicholas. Shoes put on the doorstep that oftentimes fruit is placed in to remember the legacy of this person and this person who was tortured and beaten and imprisoned unjustly lived a life of enormous influence. Just think for a moment 
of all the generosity that has been inspired through the history of the world and in your own life because of the legacy of this one single life. This one person who would take his troubles and not get consumed by them, but would rather transfer them out of his own pain and suffering into goodness and grace and kindness and generosity. Jesus said, blessed is the one who loses their life and then truly finds their life. Before I go to meet Jesus, I need John the Baptist. I need to be shaken up a little bit. And then maybe I can see him more clearly and follow him more faithfully. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for your mercy that comes to us gently, but may we not presume upon it. May we not imagine that it's all fine because the world needs your servants to do your work still in the world. And the only thing that we are limited by is our limited imaginations and our too often self-preoccupations. And so as we walk this path through Advent of preparing again for the birth of our Lord, may he be birthed in us anew. And may we truly find our lives by giving them away to him. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We conclude our service with this wonderful hymn of comfort and response. If you wish to follow Christ in baptism, to be a part of this church as member, to respond to a call of special service, I stand forward as you share your decision with the congregation and as we stand and sing.
a moment, Charles is going to come forward to share some other announcements, but before he does, I wanted to especially invite you to a special event this Tuesday where we are the host site of an event sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Churches and the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, and that is to discuss the very important need of bail reform for the state of Kentucky. Many individuals who are arrested before their conviction sit in jails for long periods of time because they cannot make bail. In that process, they lose their jobs, they're removed from their families, sometimes their children are taken away from their care. This is a pressing need that other communities have addressed and helped remedy, but the state of Kentucky has lagged behind. In the 120 counties of Kentucky, some have better policies than others, but really what is necessary is some kind of state legislative action. So you'll hear more about that, including testimony from impacted persons, and that will take place in this sanctuary, 6.30 Tuesday night. If your schedule allows you to come, uh, we hope you might come to give your support, to be a host to those who are gathered here from those organizations, and to become better educated on how we might help this important need. Some other announcements before you leave today. Uh, tonight, starting at 6 o'clock, we have our potluck, supper, and candlelight communion service. Um, the church is providing a bunch of ham and rolls, so make sure that you bring something for your family and also to share with others. Uh, desserts are also welcome. As you leave today on our sign-up table, there are two things that I want to make sure to draw your attention to and you can pick up on your way out. First is the business meeting minutes or the business meeting agenda and packets. Uh, we're having our business meeting uh, this Wednesday at 6.30, so make sure you stop by and pick up one of those packets. Also, there are poinsettia forms out there as well that you can, you can uh, fill out and return next week. Uh, next Sunday, we have two things going on that I want to make sure that you are aware of. First, our lessons and carols. Uh, so uh, looking forward to hearing from our choir and all the work that they've been doing over the past months. So that will start uh, for our, e our morning service at 11 a.m. Also, right after that service, Mark will be leading a conversation of our LGBTQ, uh, about our LGBTQ conversation that we had several years ago. Lunch is provided, but please make sure to sign up for that in the foyer so that there is enough lunch for everybody. This morning in Sunday school, our fifth grade Sunday school, we talked about peace and carrying the peace of God with us and sharing that peace with others. So we wrote a benediction together uh, that Henry Webb has uh, agreed to say for us and share with you this morning. So please receive these words of benediction. As you go from this place, may you live in the acceptance God has for you. May you know the peace God brings and share that peace with each other. May you share the love of God with those you disagree with. Go now in peace. Amen. <laughs>